Welcome to Coffee with the Snows, where we talk about everything from the Bible to current events, but always flavored with high-octane caffeine and biblical thoughts. I'm your host, Art Snow, along with my co-host and beautiful wife, Sharon Snow. We begin every broadcast with me describing our coffee mug of the day. Every mug in our collection has a story. Well, today I'm holding a beautiful gray mug, and it says on the side, Love Never Fails, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Oddly enough, on the handle of this mug is a white pom-pom. That's right, a white pom-pom with a little wooden thing that says, For You. Well, that's because it's a gift, a gift for my beautiful wife. She made a recent trip, and she brought this back for me. So I want you to know I love the color of the mug, and I love what the mug says. I'm going to ditch the pom-pom because it just doesn't fit my personality. So love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, obviously, because love is the quintessential gift that God has given to his church, that God gives to every human being. So today, as I drink hot black coffee from this gray mug, I'm reminded that God's love is ever, ever about me and in me and around me and never fails me. So today, let's talk about, you know, the Bible says the two shall become one. Now, we, we understand that. From, we're talking about today marriage, spirituality, and marriage. It is always interesting to me to notice how many couples I see along the way that virtually have their own walk with God, but they don't have a walk with God that they share together. So I often tell, tell couples that I, I draw a triangle on a notebook, and on the lower left of the triangle, I put the man. On the lower right of the triangle, I put the woman. And at the very top of the triangle, I put God. So as you know, a triangle, the closer the man gets to God, the closer the woman gets to God, the closer they get to one another. So really the premise of today's broadcast is about how we can challenge couples to have a walk with God together, not just a walk individually together, and then how they can, how we do that. So we're going to share some personal stuff, maybe at how we, we began in our marriage, early in our marriage, kind of struggled a little bit in, the, in this area, and then how we made it better over the years. Good idea. Well, I think to start off, that each person within a couple relationship, uh, each spouse, has to have their own individual relationship with Jesus. I don't think that you can have always your devotions together, always your prayer time together, always your study time together, because we, we are individuals in God's kingdom, and God is doing something with me. He's doing something with you. And we may or may not be growing at the same pace in the same areas at the same time. And so first and foremost, each person in the, the relationship, in each spouse, the husband and the wife, has to have a defined, individual, unique relationship with God on their own. But that relationship with God can be then expressed to the other. So for example, if God is showing me something or I'm learning something or he's maturing me in an area or he's challenging me to change or he's put his finger on something that he wants me not to do anymore or to get rid of, then I share that with you 
And then those things become your prayer points for me and vice versa. Some of this has to do with gifting and how we approach the scriptures. Uh, because I'm gifted as a teacher, I often approach the scriptures differently than you do. You are always looking to scriptures and how they deeply affect you and how you can be changed into the more the likeness of Christ. Because you always internalize a verse. I tend to look at the verse and pick it apart. Look at it for the viewpoint of a teacher. I can remember an interesting day when we decided we would journal together. This is a hard thing, right? We're going to journal together. <clears throat> so I started to journal and we shared our journal with each other afterwards. And you said to me, Art, you're not journaling correctly. And I said, what do you mean I'm not journaling correctly? No, no, no. Because you're, you're, you're just looking at a, taking the verses apart and, and structuring like a teaching, right? So we really had to learn something from that, from that experience. What I learned from that experience is that I tend to approach the text academically and how I would teach it to someone as opposed to letting it touch my innermost soul. So I had to learn that from you, and that really helped challenge me and change me on how I, I do my devotions and how I journal. So I still tend to be a little more academic in my journaling, but I am always aware of how this affects my walk with God and how I could be different after I've journaled, how I can look more like Him and, and, and see life more like Him and smell more like Him. And I had to learn to approach the scriptures a little more academically because because of my gifting and I, and because of my desire to not take anything to my death that looks like flesh, you know, to be as much like Jesus as I possibly can when it's my time to, to say goodbye to earth and good morning to heaven. I don't always approach the scriptures from a, from a theological standpoint or a doctrinal standpoint that can form a foundation for me to stand on. So therefore, the scriptures can become too introspective or too critical for me. And then I, I never, I see where I don't measure up. I don't see where I'm loved and valued. And so I had to learn to approach the scriptures for what they said to me, not just what they challenged within me. That's good. So let's talk about prayer for a couple minutes. <clears throat> I have an author in my library. His name is Arthur W. Pink. And the interesting thing about Pink, whenever you read him, is he will write five pages on something I could, could have said in one paragraph. <laughs> That's kind of how like we pray. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of like we pray. So oftentimes when we pray, I, I pray short and concise and boom, right, it, right there, right? It's all contained right there in one small prayer. And you pray how? I just talk to God and tell him how I feel and how I think it might turn out. And I probably sometimes give him advice like, Lord, could you find so-and-so a husband? Or, you know, I, I have more conversational prayer and I pray very detailed. I just, I pray to the most minute detail with the Lord. Anybody that knows me knows that details kill me <laughs> so we had to sort of learn how to pray together didn't we we were praying out loud together we had to sort of learn how to i i could assimilate some of how you pray into my prayer life and vice versa and i had to learn to shorten it up a bit yeah you know and just when we're praying together i don't focus on those details or a lot of intercession i just state bullet points to the lord and that allows you to stay with me you know, with me in the prayer. One of my favorite ways to pray is with a list. 
I enjoy praying with a list. That keeps me focused. So I pray for my first thing. We pray for our marriage. Then we pray for our children. Then we pray for our leaders. And then it goes on from there. Whatever happens to be the chief thing that's for focused on that week or that day. So how, how do you feel about when you pray from a list? Does that help you or does it hinder you? I, I pray from a list. I can, I can keep a mental list. I don't have to have a physical list. Um, for a long time, my prayer time was in the pool. So I would pray uh, by lap. So I would do two laps for you, two laps for each of the girls. I would do four laps for the church, four laps for our supervisor and our district office and the staff. I would do four laps for the international you know, president and officers and those people. And then I would do two to four laps for world situations until I I had all the laps I needed to complete my swim. I'm getting tired listening to that. <laughs> <I know. laughs> just, it it works for me. It worked for me. And then I would often use my cool down time, my cool down laps for the Lord to talk to me. So oftentimes couples come to us in counseling situations. And most often, many times, the man complains about the lack of intimacy in a marriage. That happens often. So I explain to men that there are three kinds of intimacy. There's physical intimacy, there's emotional intimacy, and then there's spiritual intimacy. And you can't have emotional intimacy unless you have spiritual intimacy. And you can't have physical intimacy unless you have emotional intimacy. So it really all begins with your walk with God as individuals, and then your walk with God together as a couple. So that really helps open the eyes of some men to say, if I want this, I need to move toward being emotionally intimate with my wife. And then to be emotionally intimate with my wife, I need to be spiritually intimate and know her not after the flesh, but know her after the spirit who she really is on the inside of her. So one of the chief things that we do is we go to our back room. So let's talk about the value of our back room. Well, our back room is technically half of a back room. Uh, It's a room in our house on the second floor that I'm not sure how they built it, but it kind of, it's on top of our, our patio in the backyard. So it's there and we use it as a room when our girls come from out of town, if they're going to stay with us over holidays. But the other half of the room is uh, two wingback chairs, very, very pretty, bright colored wing chap, wing backed chairs. They're kind of coral and gold and, and a little white. And there's a footstool there. And they're seated kind of uh, close, close together, a little perpendicular to each other. And there's a table with, uh, that holds both of our Bibles. It holds a uh, decanter of wine uh, for communion. And it holds a little plate with, with bread that we replace um, often since it molds. And uh, that, is, that is always there. And then there's uh, some things uh, there, like a little bit of decoration just for the, you know, the, uh, just the ambiance of the room in general. And of course, two glasses for us to take communion. So that's kind of the physical nature of the room, but there's a spiritual nature to that room as well. And we take communion, we try to take the Lord's Supper every day together. That has become a very, very important part of our walk with God. There's a, <clears throat> a closeness that happens when you and I break bread together and we take the cup together. 
that doesn't happen outside of that room. There's something, uh, I don't want to use the word magical because there are weird connotations to that, but something very deeply spiritual about taking the cup of wine and the bread together that connects our hearts one to another. Something very intimate. Very intimate, absolutely, yes. Um, that we could not share with another human being on the, on the earth that happens in that moment, right? Right. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about something that maybe only applies to leaders and preachers, but let's talk about how you and I preach together. What, with what ease we preach a sermon together, which we've done hundreds of times over our lifetime. Well, I think because we know each other so well, I, I wouldn't say that we could finish each other's sentences, but we could finish each other's sentences a lot of the time. And so I almost always can predict where you're going to go with a topic. And then I can, therefore, because I can predict that, I can add something in that I think will either support or defend or enhance what what you're going to to say and then you do the same for me because we just we we kind of I mean after 41 years plus we kind of know how each other thinks and where we're going to take a specific passage or a specific direction on an issue. The interesting thing about that is that we might take the same verse and look at that verse completely differently because of our gift set and how we look at the Bible. But somehow or another, we just end up just being um, a hand in a glove, right? The ebb of the flow, it's always right there because we're spiritually intimate with one another. It has nothing to do with how brain-connected we are. How it has everything to do with how spirit-connected we are. So that's how we move in and out of a passage, in and out of a sermon. And oftentimes in a marriage counseling situation, the same thing happens, right? Correct. I think another key element is that there's no competition between us. Ah, yeah, that's right. I, I don't, uh, I know my place. I know the delegated authority that I walk in in our relationship. And I know the delegated authority that I walk in in our church. Uh, I know when you're not there, I have no problem stepping up and leading because I know how you would want me to lead. You know, I, I, we have, we're one in that regard. We're not each trying to take the verse or the church or our marriage in two different directions. And therefore there's these competing uh, ideas or these competing theories or uh, competing desires. So I, I think that one of the most important elements in being able to be spiritually compatible to your, to someone is not having to compete with them and not feeling like you have to prove yourself. I, I don't feel like I have to prove myself to you. You know what I know, and you know what I don't. And I know what you know, and I, I know what you don't. And I could either compliment you or expose you. And if I'm not competing with you, there's no reason for me to expose you. I just compliment, support, you know, defend whatever, whatever the role would be in whatever we're doing. And then it just kind of flows nice and neat. J.B. Phillips defines love this way. Love is desiring the most for the object of your affection. So because that's how we approach love, we desire the most for the object, which is each other, of our affection. So, go ahead. I think that one of the things I wanted to, to just bring up in this podcast is sometimes people don't talk to their spouse about their spiritual walk because of either fear of, some kind of fear of rejection or fear that they're 
not as good as their spouse or, and maybe those aren't the, I'm, I'm sure those aren't the only examples, but there's some kind of a hindrance, uh, some kind of an intimidation or this is personal. This is just between me and Jesus. And maybe it's, um, you know, maybe it's the inability to confess a sin or to confess a struggle. And I think that 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 is something that in a in a marriage relationship you have to work really hard to overcome so that if i'm struggling with something i should be able to confess to you as easily as i confess to jesus and i should receive if we're loving each other the way christ commands us to i should receive the same unconditional love back from you that i receive from christ and that keeps us on the same plane then spiritually. And I think in in our case, I think that's easier for me than it is for you. And I think that might be a man-woman thing, you know? Right. Uh, or it might be a gift mix thing. I'm not sure exactly what that is. But I think both people in a marriage relationship have to be willing to be transparent and open and honest about what God is doing in them. First of all, so the other person can pray, and second of all, so that nothing can come between the, the two of you, even a spiritual thing. The last topic I want to cover in this episode has to do with music. Because worship and music is an important part of who we are spiritually. So let's talk about kind of our journey together. Uh, we really were very divergent in our styles and likes of music. Let's talk about how we kind of compromise that and how we use music in our walk with God today. Well, I just basically roll over and play dead <laughs> in that <laughs> area. True. Um, I, I'm a, a hymn girl. You know, I can weep at, at a hymn. Uh, I can, I'm very moved by, by a, a type of worship music, not solely hymns. You're more rock and roll. Uh, what I've, what I've learned to do is I've learned to listen to the message, not the vehicle. So I have found um, rap worship that I, I really can relate to the message that they're sending in that song. So for me, I've had to, I enjoy the music that I enjoy and I listen to it whenever you let me or whenever you're not around. But I've, I've adjusted myself to be able to listen and appreciate all genres of worship music, uh, whether I would prefer them or not, because I, I hear the message. So the only time I would, you know, not like, quote unquote, a worship song is if I just couldn't relate to the message that they were sending. Well, I think both of us really deeply relate to songs that are passionate. When I think like, like Bethel. A lot of Bethel right. songs we connect together with, and um, they're so deeply passionate about loving God. Right. And being transformed, you know, like a new wine. I just think of that song, new wine, you know, crushed and pressed yes. and let new wine come out of us. I think because both of us are committed, deeply committed to, to having our flesh reduced and our spirit yeah, rise. That's right. Reckless Love, right, would be another oh, one of yeah. those great right. songs that we could both worship and weep to openly Absolutely. weep to together yeah well it appears the coffee cup is empty Sharon so that's my cue to close this broadcast for today until we meet again keep your coffee strong and your walk with God stronger